The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Back, back on the Cafe podcast. Stories you're not supposed to hear. I promised you some of that. Some things you're not supposed to hear. Try to do that. We have a mix of personalities on all the time. And uh, this week will be no different. A Howard Stern insider, way inside, Steve Gorillo, who was Howard's intern. I mean, that was a talk about a a coveted position, a cush spot, right? Howard's sole intern. Plenty of stuff we're not supposed to hear about will be discussed, and I promise you that. And have some fun with Steve. And uh, having some fun with uh, my patrons. Patreon.com slash podcast. Mark Wright just came aboard, perhaps right before I went on the air. Um, Mark Wright. Who else do I have? Do I have my list here? Do I have my list of patrons here? Do I have it? Maybe I don't. But uh, he joins. He's in good company. Some of the greats supporting this program, becoming part of it. And uh, that's all. It's all good. Um, Helps keep stuff like this free. Helps keep it on the air. You don't have to worry about things like... Oh, I don't know. Sponsors. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm fine with sponsors. But uh, you know how it goes. This is a democratic thing now, right? So get as much as you give. So thank you for coming aboard. Uh, you know what I was thinking about during this, the corona of 2020? The lock, the lockdown, the lock-in, the uh, so many, so many monikers for this. Shutdown, the sequester. There was something else was the great sequester last year, right, in Europe. But uh, something that came across me here. People are reaching out, trying to find ways uh, to connect, all right? Celebrities in particular, uh, they can't go do the road. If they're musicians, if they are uh, Broadway in, in a Broadway show, if they're actors, they can't go out and work. So they have to find a way to connect with you. So they're doing it different ways. But one of the things I was most amused about was this trend of musicians playing like for you. They did a whole concert recently, like the concert for New Jersey or something was called, where there was all like these Zoom video videos or I'm just saying Zoom because everyone's using it. Maybe it was FaceTime or whatever, but they were they were playing to the to the camera. And without an audience, something's lost. Saturday Night Live's trying it, you know, they're on there, they're doing skits, they're trying to incorporate the technology into the skit. It's it's just not working. The closest thing I saw to a success was Bill Maher, who was using it was actually very funny. 
in his monologue, he was using a laugh track, but he would cut away to old crowd footage, not of his, but like of The Price is Right from 1979, somebody in those, you know, big wingtip glasses and, you know, grandmas with blue hair and in moo-moos, like, like grainy film stock footage, really, really obviously a cutaway. And that's why it worked. That's why it was funny. But hearing the laughter was important. Hearing that laughter did something. It added an element that's missing. And I, so anyway, so getting back to the musicians. So here's some of the ones that I watched this past week. It's, um, you may have some too, and, and please share them. Uh, tweet us at P or at kayfabe sean um so the the first one i had is on my uh on my instagram feed was paul stanley um he was going into his studio and he was going to play some riffs and talk about how the riffs came to be it was a good idea it's like a little like a little inside uh gimmick like you know letting you inside the writing process and um, but what was interesting to me is, is like looking at his studio. I like these little looks inside the musicians' homes and like their little setups. Like, is this is this where they write? Is this where they write the tunes? I don't know, has Paul Stanley written anything in the last five years, ten years, twenty years? Oh, I know he had a solo album, and I think Kiss put out an album a few years ago. But so I'm looking at the homes and like enjoying it from that aspect. Now Paul starts playing. And uh, he's talking about where the inspiration for this riff came from this blues song from this cat he saw playing at a downtown club in New York. And that's all great. I, I'm loving all that. And then he sings. And, and, th- and this is the, I guess this is the beauty part and, and the democratization of the world through the internet and social media. It wasn't cleaned up. It was a one-take deal. And and we hey, listen, if you're a KISS fan, and you know the past couple of years, Paul's voice is, is on the way out. Now, I say that because it's fucking true, but I don't want to take anything away. He was one of the greatest rock and roll front men ever. Just the, the personality that he imbued as the front man. And his voice at one time was dynamic. And it's kind of sad to hear him struggle with it. But I loved that he did. I love that he put it out there and he didn't futz with it in a, in a studio setting. He just started belting out the tune and then made a joke like, you know, you know, not supposed to sound like that. But and that's what it's all about. So I like that aspect of what he did. So uh, a thumbs up for the uh, Paul Stanley uh, sequester videos. Dennis DeYoung, the front, former frontman, I guess, of Styx. He's, I think they're caught in this whole thing. When you see Styx is on the road, it's like Styx without Dennis DeYoung. And then if you want to see him, you've got to go see Dennis DeYoung of Styx. You know, they, you know I, n- I never know how that works. Who gets the name? Who owns the child? You both own it, right? How do you do that? I think they should both be stricken from being able to use it in the advertising. But... Dennis DeYoung did, I saw Best of Times. There may be others, too. And that's what I'm saying for this. I don't know when you're listening to it, so they may have added to the, uh, to the catalog of... And, and you know what? It's always like... 
I'm, I'm going to sing this for you, man, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's that intimate and, you know, we're all, but we're all watching, but that's, that's what that Zoom thing does. And that's what, that's why the comedy's not working on Saturday Night Live. It's the, it's broad comedy. That's not intimate comedy. And what this does is it makes it seem like Dennis DeYoung has slipped inside your device and is now going to talk to you about um, the best of times. Headline said, these are the worst of times. But uh, it was a pretty good effort. It was a pretty I just, I can't get over the rug. I can't do it. Listen, my hair's thinning. All, all guys' hair is going to thin. I guess unless you're Howard Stern. But all men's hair begins to thin at a certain point. The rug should be the last option. Why is it the go-to for people? They have all these gimmicks. They have the, 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 the laser surgery where they implant the healthy hair from the back of your head into the top. Why the fuck? It never looks good. Dennis DeYoung looks like he's wearing a cat on his head. So I, I couldn't get past that. I mean, he was play, he's playing the piano rather beautifully. And, you know, his voice, his voice was okay. He had to, had to, had to bend some of those, uh, some of those high notes to, uh, he had to change the vowel sound. You know, it's, it's easier to hit the, the ah than the, than the ooh at a certain age. So, you know, I had, had to play with that a little bit, but, um, I just, I couldn't get past the hair. I, so I, so I can't even rate it. The song was fine. The hair, uh, I guess it had, had a negative effect. So it zeros out, it becomes a zero rating for the, uh. For the Dennis DeYoung performance of Best of Times. Aldo Nova. Remember Aldo Nova? Life is just a fantasy. Can't we live the fantasy life? That's the, that's the quintessential song I remember from them. I'm sure there's others. If you're a diehard fucking Aldo Nova fan, please don't write me and say, Whoa, what about... Listen, that's what I remember. When you say Aldo Nova, I remember fantasy. It was the video on MTV. It was the hit. You know, I was 10, so give me a break. But he does a song, Paradise. That's the one I watched. And it's passable. The song is a little iffy, but uh, but it's a passable performance. But I ask myself, who's who's looking for the Aldo Nova sequester performance? Paul Stanley, let's kiss it. Kiss has a maniacal following. There's no question that was that was going to be seen. There's a demand for that. Dennis DeYoung. I don't know. I think they mainstream, right? A lot of hits. A lot of house frows and altacockers. Remember in their first fucking dance or something? So yeah, Dennis DeYoung, I get that. Who's looking for the Aldo Nova gimmick? Steve Perry of Journey. One of the most iconic voices ever. Still holding up okay. He's probably going to be, I mean, probably the sunny side of 60, right? Probably heading towards 70. And his voice is still holding up okay. Not what it was, but who the hells will be at 70. He does a, a Beach Boys cover in my room. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I root for Steve Perry. Don't stop believing. Very big part of my childhood when that would come on MTV. The live performance from Houston, Texas. It was a big deal on MTV. So those are some of the ones I caught this week. Let me know which ones you saw, which were worthy of of, uh, seeking out and and which I should skip. But of that crew that I just mentioned, the the Paul Stanley, Dennis DeYoung, Aldo Nova, 
uh, and Steve Perry. Maybe the Steve Perry, I'd have to say, is, is worth the listen. Listen to me. Listen to me judging Steve Perry's voice. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Michael Jordan how to hit a fucking jump shot next. Hey guys, what are you reading right now? You got some free time. What are you reading? Head to SeanOliverBooks.com, a one-stop shop for my writings. We have novels available there, my three thrillers, and my three wrestling-related books. Um, all available at SeanOliverBooks.com. Three novels transfer, my most recent one, which reads the discovery. Said was an exceptionally thrilling story that builds up with a solid pace and keeps the reader immersed and emotionally invested. The Consultant. Reads the discovery also saying, if you are a patient reader and love mysteries, this is the book for you. A beautiful, unsolvable mystery, unputdownable. And my first, my first novel, Sophie's Journal. Um, also... The wrestling books are there. Kayfabe stories you're not supposed to hear from pro wrestling production company owner. The business of Kayfabe taking you inside the company I ran. Uh, co-ran for 10 plus years. And Father's Blood, true stories of pro wrestling dads facing their greatest challenger, parenthood. That's the book Sports Illustrated. It said Sean has the unique ability to share the journeys of those who have sacrificed so much for pro wrestling. And he does so in a manner that evokes compassion humor, and joy. SeanOliverBooks.com How's everybody? Your family's okay? Everybody's good? Yes, thank you. Um, uh, where are you coronaing? Uh, are you, st- uh, you staying in New York? or uh, I'm in Hell's Kitchen. Okay, so you stayed home. Yeah, we ran to Florida yeah. immediately, like like a pussy. Okay. Uh, I just, I got... Well, well, well. Why would you go to Florida where all the old people are? They're getting sick like crazy down there. No, <laughs> you know what? It's it it's spread out. There's there's space. You can you can move about. You know, it's if I was up there in Jersey, it would be you know people would be up your ass, and it would just it would be more of a nightmare. I think. I think I got a better yeah. shot down here, Steve. I, I don't know. That's what I'm going with. But what about your family? Cool. Everybody's good. Rockwood. I, I I've had uh, one of my best friends lost. Two of my friends lost their fathers. Yeah. Um, one of them, uh, you know, stubborn headed Guinea didn't want, didn't want to listen, uh, 88 years old. He was in the hospital on Friday, was dead by Saturday. It, went, it ran through him like a hot knife through butter. Why? Cause it was, it was so late in catching it. Why so fast? Uh, well, because he was 88 years old. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, but you know, but 99% of everybody has a pre-existing condition. So I don't know what his was, but that was his father. You know, yeah, and the funny thing is... Who are you hanging out with that they have an 88-year-old father? Henny Youngman, your friend? Well, I, 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 no, no, my friend, uh, my friend, he's older. He owns, he, owns, uh, he owns a bar, a pizzeria. I know him for... I used to work oh, for him when okay. I was a kid, so he's older. So uh, he just... I, 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 he does, I, 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 the story was, you know, the point is he didn't listen, yeah. right? And he went out anyway. And I'm telling my mother, who's down in Florida at Delray Beach, whatever, down there... I'm telling my mother this story with the sole purpose, because you can't come at, at my mother. you got to go circumvent. So I'm telling her this story and hoping that she hears this horrible story and how quickly he died, that she would, it would go, boop, a light bulb. So and she'll finish her story. Wow, what a shame. God bless. So anyway, I don't feel like cooking tonight. I'm sending your father out to get Burger King. I'm like, 
Are you fucking kidding me? I was like, did you hear what I just said? To you? He didn't listen. He went outside and got it and fucking, and he gave it to his wife. And now she has. Now, you know what? The, the, the dickhead governor down here, he, he's walking around like nothing's wrong. The beaches are open. The spring break, everybody had their balls out. It was, it was ridiculous. So the, it creates a real false sense of, uh, of security. For yeah. People. Well, uh, hey, wait, but, so to, my, yeah. my show tomorrow, my show tomorrow is going to be a very, you know, remember back in the 80s when all the sitcoms, that always one episode was a very special A very special, special yes. Like when, when Dudley got diddled by the guy in the bike shop. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so this is going to be a very special episode. Um, it's going to be very serious. Uh, and I'm bringing my friend Jeffy Gurion. He's, he's a comedian, a New York legend, and he fought it for five weeks and survived. Okay. So he's going to tell the story about when he got it, the symptoms, what happened when he went to the hospital, how he got to the hospital, what happened in the hospital, and his whole recovery. And I'm hoping to get my friend uh, Dr. Dan to come on as well. Dr. To- Dan, that sounds like somebody from one of those special shows that's in the back yeah, of, yeah, the, exactly. of the store, Dr. Dan. Yeah. Dr. Dan, touch me below the equator. Listen, <laughs> no. Steve, Steve well, listen, we're both in entertainment, so I got to ask you, it's a very touching thing, by the way, to your friend, but where do you think the downloads are going to go for this episode? What, for, for your show? No, for yours, for, with the with the, the, the talking about the, the sickness and the, the, the illness. Well, because the it's, a, it's, it's a public, it's like a PSA, it's a public service announcement. I, you wonder why people need to listen, they need to understand, they need to know what's going on and how this works. I... No one wants to. Everybody needs to hear it. Yes. And you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people are going to do, but if you're, you need to hear the reality of the situation and what's going on. Because if you don't, then it's going to spread twice as fast. If I could get to one person and save one person's life, then I did my. I did, I'm happy. That's very honorable. Hears, very honorable. If one person hears it and and doesn't and listens and and maybe if there was a crossroads in life and they listened to my show and they decided to listen and went this way and if they didn't hear my show they would have went that way and died. I'm good. The show is called Aftershock, folks. You can grab it on on Apple. It's everywhere, right? It's, uh, no, the- no, it's uh, it's Grillo's it's Grillo's Aftershock XL on YouTube. But if you go to Grillo's Aftershock XL dot com, it'll direct you right right to the YouTube channel because there's a little confusion uh, because I was on the Battle Chats network, and it comes up on Battle Chats. So we're going to try to fix that algorithm now. But the best thing to do is go to Grillo's Aftershock XL dot com. It'll direct you to the subscribe page uh, and all my social media. So for those of you who haven't figured it out yet, I'm here with Steve Gorillo, Gorilla from the Howard Stern Show from the, the prime years. You were there in what I consider to be the golden age without question. Let me double back. Everybody thinks of a dream job, okay? And I think you as as how you were Howard's intern, okay? So people would consider oh, yeah, that. I was, right. I was both their interns. People would consider that the dream job. Now, of course, anyone who's had the dream job knows it's never a dream job. How long did it take for you to have that realization that this is not what it's cracked up to be? I could say it wasn't that it was not cracked up to be. Uh, I had fun up until the time I left. But the realization was, you know, I I was an intern and they were never going to pay me. They were never going to pay me to be. So I was working for free for almost five years. And at some point, that's highly illegal. Oh, yeah. But you know that's all by design, labor. right? That's by design. That's that's well, look, Howard. And it was, that's it was just 
uh, uh, Tom Chiasano. Chiasano, but also the uh, a, his agent, uh, super agent Don Buckwald. Don Buckwald. Also. Well, they, they never let they never let someone know that they're doing a good job because then they're going to want to get paid for it. So yeah, yeah, and always remind them that there's ten thousand people out there that want your job. So we, you know, it's really. But I was having so much fun. I didn't care. I didn't want to raise a stink. I thought I was so lucky to be there and be a part of history that I just kept my mouth shut because I'm a hustler. I'll make it no matter what. I'll get my fucking. I was bartending. I was doing appearances. I always had some fucking hustle going on, and it, I made shit happen. And I was able to survive because of my own instincts and, and where I came and how I was brought up. So I was able to do that and work on the show. And I didn't care that I wasn't getting paid because I was thought I was the luckiest guy in the world. So at some point, Tom Chiasano realized that I wasn't getting credit at school anymore, and I wasn't even going to school. And now that. That's his job on the line. He could have got fired for that. If I would have raised a stink over that, it would have went. He would have got fired. Yeah. So he was. Like, he was like, "You can't work here anymore." I'm like, "Well, Tom, why don't you just pay me?" He was like, "No." So I was like, "So what do you mean?" He's like, "You, you, you can't." So I went to Howard and said, "Tom says I can't be here anymore." And he's like, "Why?" I was like, "Because I'm not getting credit at school." He goes, "I'll talk. To, I'll talk to Tom." So what they did was they gave me thirty. I worked like sixty hours a week. They paid me for thirty because if they paid me for forty. They had to give me health insurance. Right. So they gave me 30 hours a week at minimum wage at that point, which was like six twenty-five. So but to me, it was an extra couple of bucks in my pocket. Yeah, so sure. Like, okay. but, but here's corporate America. Now that they're paying you, you're on a leash. So now I had to stay and do all this fucking menial work after the show where it was basically I was in charge of all the articles that Howard would ever mention in and photocopying and archiving them. And there were boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of articles that came in every week because he subscribed to this thing called Lucy's where there was a service that if it was an 18 page article and they mentioned Howard Stern at the very end, we got it. And I had to photocop it. And it wasn't easy. You had to make sure I copy it. And I had to go one to Gary, one to Howard's assistant, one to Tom Giussano, one to Don Buckwald, and one had to be on a special archive paper that, that, that didn't yellow. So that means I had to put, it, it was, and that was my, after the show ended, I had to sit there and do that until like one, two o'clock. And it was, I didn't see the end of the line. But you know and, what, you know what I think of you, when I think of you, I think of the fucking potato. The, that stuff was fun. The, 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 you were in charge of, forget about the articles, forget about Howard, forget about Robin's News, the potato. For anyone that thought that that was a put on and that Howard was not that cantankerous about the potato, what do you say? Uh, it was 100% real. Because he was like starving himself and that was the only thing he had. I had to get like 12 ounces of turkey and, and do the baked potato and he would wrap the turkey in the potato, the microwaved, and he would, that's what he ate every day. So how would and, you so prepare if it? Was, it? If it wasn't, if it wasn't, if it wasn't ready when he wanted oh, it, yeah, it, it was done. And I was consistently, I was the one that got it ready on point, see, ninety percent of the time. John, I was, was going to say who, who, who was fired before you because you weren't the first one. You were the best one, but you weren't. It, it was John, uh, John, John and Ganji. And but you know, but then I think at some point he looked at John and goes, "I don't want him touching my food." Exactly. You know? So it, it was. It was a task put on me because I, you know, I was just consistent. I, I was like a machine. I made sure I got it done. What time was it? What time did he need the potato ready? Well, it had to be ready 
every day we you know we, we ordered breakfast at the office, and then uh, that's when his turkey came. But uh, and he didn't want the potatoes sitting around, so I had to like time it out. So if the show ended quote unquote around ten o'clock, I had to make sure it was be ready around ten o'clock. But sometimes he may want it on the air. Sometimes I and I had a million plates spinning, bro. Like you know, it was like I have to take care of this. I gotta take care of that. I gotta take care of this. I gotta make sure that's done. And then I gotta give him how much potato. You know, so it was like, and you know, as the show goes, like sometimes Gary and John would be pulled on the air. So I had to run the office. I had to get his potato. I had to answer the door. I had to go get the, the news for Robin. So it was like every day was a different story, which I love. It helps with my ADD. But uh, they, I just had to make sure. Like, and then the hot water thing—that was a whole other thing. Uh, that he he was drinking hot water. Well, you know, sometimes you know, my throat, my throat, my throat. You know, so he wanted hot water, but he didn't want it from the microwave. And K Rock was so cheap that they didn't have anything that could make hot water. So. I'd have to go down to the deli. He wanted it from the deli. That was it. So I'd have to go down and get him hot water. Sometimes if you look at those old uh, e-shows, there's like 16, bo- 16 cups of hot water. So, and I had to stop everything that I was doing and go down to get the hot water when he wanted it. Like he wants, sometimes he wanted it every 30 minutes. Right. Because his, his throat was hurting. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's his, that's the vehicle. So I get that. That's like keeping gas in the car. But now the, I got to go back to the potato. How, how was the potato prepared? It Did it have to be washed first? Yeah, I went to the And then don't put it on the counter. Bathroom. You can't put it on the counter. No, right? no, I put, I put, no, put paper towels down. Okay. Yeah, so no. So I washed it, put, put it on the paper towels, and I went into the office, and I cut it, like, like, like straight down the middle, and I, into sections, not all the way through. And then I put it in the microwave for, I don't know, like six minutes or something. Well, Whatever I forget the exact time, maybe three minutes. I don't know. Whatever it was, the, it microwave the baked potato. So I had the perfect because he liked to use to pull off a piece, wrap it in turkey, and then eat it. Now, so the turkey when you say turkey, it was like a cold cut, like sliced cold yeah, cut. Yeah, no, it was like fresh turkey. It was fresh turkey from the deli. Right. It wasn't like boar's head. It was like fresh turkey. So they now you didn't have to deli. heat the turkey. It was just the potato that was heated. For yeah. The, for those for those of us cooking at home, now when he would he would just pop the inside of of the potato out, not the skin. He was no, like, no, no. Well, no, he would. You know, he would pull off because I cut it down the middle and I cut it in sections. Right. So he would pull off a section, wrap it in the turkey, and eat it. Okay. That's an so, odd diet. Uh, it, His diet consisted of that and like nothing else. Every day, every goddamn day. Oh God. Every single day, that was his lunch. God. And then, right, then in the then he started eating egg whites for breakfast. So now, understand, five o'clock in the morning. Excuse me. That's deli prep time. Yeah, the cooks come in early to make the big pile of bacon, the big pile of home fries, so they don't have to worry about it because they it's it's midtown Manhattan. Yeah. They're getting orders; they get like a hundred orders a minute. So, I had to go. A, I couldn't let them know who it was for, because he didn't want that. Right. B, I had to befriend the cooks in order for me to get them to make what he wanted. And what he wanted was he did not want any grease on the fry on the on the the fryer. So they're in the middle of making home fries and bacon. They would stop what they were doing and their prep with it because they, they fought a war every day. They would clean up. I had to watch them to clean up the grill. So if you ever put eggs, white egg whites, on a grill with no grease, you know what that's like. It just sticks. Stick, yeah. So so it would fuck up their grill. But they did it for me because I was I I, I worked. I I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I worked them. I asked them, please, can you help me? Yeah. So he, they would put the egg whites and tomatoes and put it in a wrap. 
and that was Howard's breakfast, and I had to have that ready before he got there. See, I like that Howard better than the than the one that started eating at Nobu and shit. Like maybe maybe eating the yeah. turkey and oh. the potato is is a grounding kind of thing that he should go back to. <laughs> Bring Gunga Din back. <laughs> exactly. Listen, you started working with him on private parts too. You were his his personal assistant on set. No, what? I actually I, I wish I was supposed to be, and thank God I wasn't because it would have been a nightmare. I was I I, he, I at first I was, and then there was the first production thing that started. And then they rewrote the script, so it got scrapped. For they didn't like the script, they brought in Len Bloom to yeah. do another script. So when it started back up, they had me a, a, as a PA because they had Howard's assistant. That there was someone; she was a professional assistant that worked with people on set. And I would have not. There's a whole language because I was Jodie Foster's assistant on the Brave One, and there's a whole language you need to understand. Uh, walkie language, stuff like what. There's a whole other thing you have to learn, and it was. I wouldn't have been able to handle it because I didn't know. Like at the end of private parts, I understood the the, the language. You know, like what, what's uh, you know ten one, well, all this stupid shit. What where's the sides? Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Right. So at at the end of private parts, I did. I almost quit. I, really? I was just close. I was two weeks working on the movie set. And most PAs get hired on sets, but they have to work in the office for like a year before mm. they can ever get on set. So I was a mm-hmm. must hire. So me being a must hire, the key PA who's in charge of the PAs, who answers to the second AD, you know, that does everything. I, he resented the fact that I was a must hire. He resented <laughs> the fact that I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to spend a year in the office so he gave me the, every horrible job possible. Like, like he was, what? He made my life a living. Like, like, like the first two weeks we were, we were on set. Okay. So uh, on set, the PAs, uh, they, they direct the background. They do this. They're like on set. They're working around. He put me on bells. And bells is like, okay, uh, ready, rolling. And you go, eh, eh, eh. And then cut. Eh. So the bells also t- turn on the lights outside so people know. And not only did he put on bells, he gave me the bells and stuck me all the way on the other side where there was nobody by a door. And he said, you're on bells. Make sure nobody walks out that uh, walks out that door during filming. But it was like a silver cup. It was like, I was like 200 yards away from everybody else. Yeah. And he did it. He did it to me. He's like, oh, fuck you. So yeah. two weeks into it, I'm like, I'm done with this fucking guy. I'm going to punch him in his face. I should probably just leave. And then one of my best friends calls me up. And she's like, so what, what's it like working in the movie? She's like, ah, I was like, it's so fucking boring. You got to sit there and the grips come in and then the set dressers come in and then the camera department and the electric. And then we got to turn around and it's different angles. And then I went, I didn't know that shit two weeks ago. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I'm learning. I was like, oh my God, I'm learning. So I stuck it out. Yeah. You know, they, I, they, I, I just ate a bowl of, ate a bowl of dicks for the next six weeks. <laughs> But you, they built an apartment for him there, right, where he could stay over. Is that because he was separated? I mean, he said it was because he was working long hours. But is that basically because he was separated? I, I can't answer. I can't answer that question. But I can tell you, and I'm not. I'm saying this, and I, I'm not saying this happened. Okay, but he had an overnight PA that stayed there, who Eli. His name is Eli, Eli Roth. Yeah. Okay, so now Eli Roth was his nighttime PA. And Mary McCormick, you know, didn't work all day, but you know, there was no reason for Mary McCormick and Eli Roth to know each other, right? 
Because they didn't cross the, uh, times, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. at the rap party for private parties. Eli Roth and Mary McCormick were like best fucking friends. Like, I'm like, how do they know each other? Well, if we can't say that anything happened on set, can we say I, I something say, after Howard was separated happened? Can, I, can all, I, all, all, all I can say is I don't, there's no reason in God's green earth that Eli Roth should have bumped into Mary McCormick, A, B, that they should be that friendly and close. Maybe from another film. You know, when you do a film, you see somebody again. In the New York film scene, you know, we're all bumping into yeah, each other. How about this? How about this? Maybe. <laughs> But wait, he, but he 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 banged her after that when he was separated, right? I, I, I don't know. I, I believe that. John. I, I believe John has confirmation of that. Okay. Can, she 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 she, had, she was fucking beautiful. She had a great set of tits. Yeah. Oh God! Listen. Uh, so that ends, and uh, you know what? I, that point in Howard history, because I was a fan from '84. I started listening uh, on NBC. I did too. I was a little kid. Me too. I was. I tell people I was raised by Howard. That's why I'm fucked up. I listened to him in the morning. I used to tape him so that I, when I got back from school, I could hear the next 40, do, 45 minutes. Do, do, you re, do you remember that commercial he had for the pubic shaving cream? It was like potage. Potage. Shave that sure. thing. Shave that yeah, thing. Shave that thing. So, so I remember being in the car because my my mother was listening. I was listening to Howard, and I used to love it. And I go, Mom, what's that thing? She goes, That's it. No more Howard Stern. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all had that yeah. that uh, relationship. Yeah, that, 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 that was, you're not allowed to listen to him anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I never had like the bad friend in, in on my block that my parents didn't want me to hang with. It was Howard for me. They didn't want me to hang yeah. with Howard yeah. in the morning. But, yeah, yeah. But I think Private Parts, the movie, is where the show jumped the shark. Because... Um, it, it gave Howard acceptance into a world that I always enjoyed him hating, which was mainstream Hollywood. I would say that was that's probably the beginning. But he still like fought the hard fought the hard fight uh, after that. I think that was I think that if you think about it, it's probably his big fuck you to Hollywood. I can do what you're doing too. Fuck you. Uh, if that was his really, attitude, he, 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 he didn't really because he was still married to Allison at that point, so he really didn't start to jump the shark until he started until he was single and then he started hanging out with the, the fucking celebrities and banging models and shit so uh, i it, it was i think i still because i was still you know it wasn't until after i left when he got you know divorced allison and that's when his lifestyle changed because he was living in the city now and he was hanging out at nobu and all that in fucking crazy places now he's in the hamptons so that's when i think that's when it started to turn i think private parts is a fuck you to hollywood you know, the infighting of the Howard Stern show of the 90s was my favorite part. Whenever somebody fucked up and Howard went on the rampage and then everybody turned on each other and threw everybody under the bus. Those were my favorite times. And you were certainly involved in your share of them. What's your favorite war that you had on air? Well, I could, I could say the Tracy thing, but I wasn't working there at that point. That was, after, that was after the fact, right? Yeah, but and that was completely orchestrated and fucked up because they had my wife microphone down the whole like half the time they they, they they literally shut me off um yeah i was like i was like defending myself and they cut me off oh they, I, I didn't i didn't realize it until i heard it like i was like wait a minute i was talking at that point i remember because my ex-wife 
wanted to come and jump on because she was listening. She wanted to rip the phone out and start yelling at Tracy. I'm in my room and I got her like I got my back against the door. And she's like, boom, boom, boom. Like she's like, give me the fucking phone. I want to fucking try. So I know they potted down my mic, 100. percent Right. So, but that, well, you know, everything was always with John. And uh, everything was with John and John and John because John was just he was that that catalyst that he just wanted to start shit, and he did. But uh, there was one point where John pulled a practical joke on me, and it backfired. And I was like, and all of a sudden the bottle spun to John, and I was like, and I walked out the door. Which know, one was like, it? I, was that I, the? Uh, he, he wanted it, the the fake audition. The audition that was a pretty elaborate one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what the fucked up thing was. He could have made me do a lot stupider shit, and I probably would have done it, but I actually did good with the audition. So it was like, <laughs> you know, it was always John trying to set me up for something. But being with John on the interviews is one of my favorite things to do, going out and chasing celebrities and shit. I got beat, I got beat up by Spike Lee's bodyguards. That John, was interesting. John was... Um... It's, it's, what an asshole Spike Lee is. Can we just say this? Very few people in the business yeah, no, no. I, I don't like, but I, I, we were looping. I was looping a show. I don't remember what we were working on. And I'm standing in the like the kitchen area at the studio, and there was uh, an older woman next to me, uh, an actress who was also working, and she had a script that she had put down on the counter. Spike Lee walks out of a fucking cutting room or mixing room, goes into the kitchen, he throws his fucking plate down on top of her script, like totally dismissively, and then turns around and walks away. I had half yeah, a mind to, a to say, you know, if you threw uh, the shit you throw up on the screen, you should stay to that. But listen, uh, John, I want to say something I've... about John. I think of all the guys, if you had to pick somebody who, who did not get his due or did not get enough credit for what went on behind the scenes, from what I understand... I, I think it's John. Am I wrong? No. John John was a catalyst in the sense that he knew how to fuck with people and he knew how to he was like, you know, he's he was a, he's a sauce stirrer. He knows how to stir the sauce. But know? he also and he also he, wrote. He, he wrote stuff. Yeah. He did he did a lot, you know. But you know, again, never let a good man, you know, know their worth. <laughs> so that, that that was that was never gonna happen. You're never gonna get credit or whatever for whatever you do and shit. So John John played a big part in a lot of shit that went on there, and he, I do give him credit. I always say John is a, a highly intelligent person, and he's also Tom Sawyer. He got everybody to whitewash his fence for him. You know, <laughs> did, did like, his, did his like, work hey, for him? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I did his work for him, and he made me feel like that I owed him to do his work. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I, you know, it's nice that John has finally come around and he's doing great, and. You know, it's the first time that I feel like I mean, John treats me as an equal. But I always felt like I, I was that little intern to him. But he's right. he's doing great, and we're, we're, we've actually gotten really close over this whole fucking stupid COVID Corona bullshit. So we we touch base every other day now and talk and shit. So that's good. T tell me something about yeah. Howard that might surprise me. Maybe a, a, a moment of graciousness or like a, a moment of there was there was there, 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 there was one. A candid moment that was really endearing to me that uh, it was I was working on private parts of the book and I was working out of his office in Long Island and it was just when his third daughter was born and I came to the door and Howard was in a robe holding his daughter and he was like what's her, what's her, what's her name I forget the third daughter is uh, Emily uh, the youngest is it Emily uh, oh 
No. Ashley, I don't know. Okay. But he was like, he was holding his daughter and he was like, come here, read Ashley. This is Grillo, say hi. You know, and he was like being a total dad with a newborn. He was looking at her like, oh my God, this is my baby. You know, and I was like, it was just like a cool moment. She was like, say hi to Grillo. Grillo, say hi, meet Grillo. I was like, I was like, it was just, that was a kind of like awesome, weird, weird moment. Because it was early, it was like eight o'clock in the morning and it was a Saturday or something and, you know, nobody was up. It was just me, Howard, and his daughter. It was kind of cool. Hmm. That is cool. Um, and then there's a the time that we smoke, we smoke pot in the bathroom and scores. <laughs> those are the I think those are the stories everybody wants, Gorilla. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, you said something. Endearing. I, I did want something endearing, and then we can go to the garbage. Um, listen, do you agree with me that that the show is definitely uh, beyond fixable at this point, and it's just it, it's never going to be even close I, to it's, what it's, it was? It's, it's, uh, unfortunately, all good things come to an end. Uh, it'll never be the '90s. It'll never be that show. It'll never be what we enjoyed so much. It's it, it's evolved into something that's uh, what they used to, I guess, rally against. Yes, it is. And it's 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 almost like a self fulfilling prophecy, you know. How does he not see it? How does he not see it? Maybe he doesn't doesn't give a fuck. He's a billionaire. If I was a billionaire, I wouldn't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> you know, yes, I, don't I don't care. Know. I don't know. You know, I, I just, he's, he's not that dude in his forties that was just like, I don't give I don't care. Now he cares. Mm. What's know? his best quality? He, he have to, he's actually a wonderfully kind person in, in person. Like I never, I seen him, you know, I'd bring him down every day and people would be like, Oh my God, I get, he was so nice to everybody. Like off the air, like, like, he didn't not say hello to people. He he was like, if I do you have a pen, I'll sign anything. Uh, you know, take a picture, whatever. Like he, and not that I I have that kind of ego, but like it's like if he's nice to people. Who am I to be addicted to anybody ever? Like he didn't think who the fuck he was off the air. He was very kind. What's what about his worst quality? Uh well, that, that that all has to do on the air. You know what I'm saying? I, I, it was just whatever. The one thing that that pissed me off, and I was it was in my process of when I was trying to thinking of leaving, and I sent them a personal note on Lotus Notes. You know, it was like you know that's when Lotus Notes started. It was like the internet just was beginning, yeah. And we were able to go and do shit on a computer at home. And I, I asked him specifically. I was like, please, I I, I don't want to do air. I wanted to know if there was a future in what I was doing there. And I just wanted an honest answer. And the first, and the first thing that he did on the Monday morning was fucking read the letter. Oh, he read you it. Know? Made fun and of it. Like, he made fun of the grammar yeah, and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just whatever. You're just like, yo, can you just be personal with me for half a second, bro? You know, I asked you. I'm trying to like, I'm telling you that well, I'm pouring my heart out to you, and you fucking, you, you just can't resist putting it on the air. You know, have that fucking moment with me, bro. Like, like, say, yeah, Grillo, I don't want you to leave. Yeah, I, there's a future here for you. Not just fucking make fun of me for it, you know. Mm. That was like that was a part of the decision that, that, about me exiting when he did that. You know, it wasn't the straw, but the straw was something else. But does he do that? And it had to do with him. Do, when we'll get to that in a second. When something like that happens, and maybe he he definitely needs on-air material, and it was great for us to listen to your pain. Sorry, but it was. But when when we're off the air, does he go to you and go, "Hey, Steve, you know I'm just busting your balls, right?" Is there ever like that? Yeah, yeah, he does. Well, yeah, I'll explain. This is a great story. My dad is a sensitive guy. 
old school fucking Guinea. I always say I'm half Irish, half embarrassed. Old school fucking Italian guy. And I told my dad, I said, he's a mailman. I said, and he did, he's, he's, he's kind of socially awkward, my dad. He's not like, you know, my mother, on the other hand, is the one that everybody's friends with instantly. That's, that's where I get that from. But my dad's the quiet guy in the corner. And I told my dad, don't tell anybody at the post office that I work for Howard Stern. Don't, because they're going to break your fucking balls. What do you do? He told everybody. So now, and now he gives them headphones. Now he's listening. And I'm getting my ass chewed out on the air. And then he goes back to the fucking office and all the guys are like, oh, Grillo, your son got fucked up today. Oh, your son looked like a fucking idiot. So now on top of, he doesn't like that, the way Howard's talking to me. He's getting shit at work. So when I came home, he was like, why does he have to fucking talk to you like that? Why? 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 And I'm like, dad, you understand that there's 20 million people listening and it's not funny when he says good job. Okay, right. and what you don't know, Dad, he goes, "We'll be back after these words." Grillo, great job, great job. You know, like, like you didn't see that. He was, I was like, "I'm sorry." He goes, "How?" He goes, "No, you did great. That was awesome, great." Okay, you know, so he right. didn't see, he didn't see that. So, and my father never understood. I used to take the batteries out of the fucking Walkman before he went to work because I knew it was too cheap to buy another fucking set of batteries. <laughs> so you couldn't listen. I was like, "I don't." As a dad, stop listening. Stop. The enigma of Robin Quivers. I mean, we could probably do a whole week's worth of shows, right? Yeah, I love her to death. I love her. It's like she was my she was my best friend on the show. Yeah. Why? Because other other people have such a problem with her, though. I I, I just you want, I don't know what it is, man. Because like my first day, Gary was supposed to fight. She hated the other intern. Okay. Who was it at the and, time? I was, I don't know who it was. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know her and I, it's a long story how I got there, but I was working in the, I, I started working for Gary. I did, a, I logged a bunch of tapes that weren't logged. That's how I got the job. And then I, I, they liked what I did so much. They stuck me in the promotions department. So, um, Robin says, I don't want to see your fire. And then they went, Grillo, you're in. So my first day. I was in, you know, I, I did the news for her. So I had to go through the Daily News, the Times, the, the Newsday, the Post, and try to find interesting articles that she couldn't get and highlight them, all the fucking cool shit, and then I'd rip it out and I'd give it to her. So Ganji's in the room across from Gary's office showing me what I needed to do. And all of a sudden, Robin comes in. This is my first day. Slams the door and goes, what the fuck is she doing here? She's I told Gary to fire her on Friday and she's here. Now I got to fucking see her face again. And I was like, I got to work for this woman? <laughs> you know, but after that, she never had a problem with me, ever. We never got to a fight. She would take me to movies. She would take me to dinner. She would take me to Broadway plays. She would take me to premieres. And I'd go hang out with her house. We'd go fucking roll in Central Park. I, you know, I would just after after we're, we're going to lunch. Come on, and we just we she just really liked me. Wow. And I don't know what else to say. She's just fucking. You didn't hit it, did you? So what? No. All right. Not my style, son. All right. Listen, they say you never go back. Listen. I I, I, I know. I, I it's not the black thing. I I thought she was beautiful. I just uh, you know I, I'm not a big titty guy. Yeah. Oh, you'd have to be. You'd need another set of hands. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I just, I, I like them like, like right here, not out here. <laughs> the, you know what? I cannot reconcile the Scott Salem thing from this year in my fucking mind at all. I cannot find a way to just, that's, that's so justify fucking, it. So, 
I, I just I've, so I've tried to think about it from like somebody else's point of view, like what's going on, Howard's point of view. It's such a douche dick fucking thing. And it's for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, Scott Salem, who had been the butt of Howard's jokes and, and stuck in there with him and, and oh, took the got, abuse. He got it so, he got oh. it so bad. If anyone, if anyone had the right to walk out of there or pull, pull a 45 out on air, it was him. But he took it. And he was the foil for Howard. His wife passes away this year. And she was a sweetheart. Fucking sweetheart. And he's fired shortly thereafter. Now, there's a million things in the middle you could talk about. Does Howard ever mention that Scott's wife passes away? No, right? Never mentions it on the air. Maybe Scott didn't want it. Yeah, I haven't listened since I left. And it's not because I don't hate him. I didn't die. I, I, no ill will. I just don't have a car. I live in Manhattan. I don't listen. I'd listen in the morning, like for when I was getting ready. But like, I'm not listening to the radio because I'm just. I usually wake up at like three o'clock in the afternoon because I was bartending, you know. But he fought. But he fires at 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 Marcy Turk's uh, orders. From what I hear, I don't know if this is true. He fires Scott. Probably is. And uh, have you talked uh, to I'm Scott? Fair. I, I reached out to Scott a bunch of times. I always got along with Scott. I never fought with Scott. Me and Scott were always tight because we were. Were the first people there in the morning, you know, and and I said there was a point where I, you know, I, I knew some, I knew kind of a little secret about Scott, and I used to cover up for him, and uh, he had a little piece on the side, and she used to call up every morning, and I used to like, you know, well, this I was the secret he revealed on the air, right? He eventually talked about yeah. that, right? That he uh, he got busted. Yeah, yeah, but I I was I I covered his ass for a long time, what? and uh, I, I know he always appreciated that. And, and it was uh, it was something that you know I, we bonded over because he knew I had his back, you know. And it was like some girl that he met in Cleveland or something. Yeah, and, Cleveland. Did yeah. you ever see her? What does so, she? What does a Scott groupie look like? For God's I think sake. I might. Well, you know what? I there was pre-internet, pre-fucking photos. I don't think I, I I talked to her in the morning. I I'd be like, oh, Scott's busy. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll you know I'll call you back or something. I'll try. I, I transfer it through, you know. Um, I, I, for some reason, I think I might have seen a picture of her, and she was actually kind of younger and good looking. Really? And I was like, good for Scotty. Yeah. I, I don't have a specific image yeah. in my head, but okay. I just, you ask that question, and my brain goes to, I remember she wasn't that bad. Okay. You know maybe maybe she had daddy issues or something. All right, let's play a game. Yeah. I want you to rank the following people. This is, we're going to rank them most in need of mental help. Okay. Most in need of mental help. Rank these Ronnie, Robin. Cabby, KC, or uh, Monique from Radio Gunk? Monique. <laughs> First, no, clearly. Uh, I love Monique. No, no. Um, I, I would say probably Cabby because he's paralyzed. Everybody needs mental health if you're paralyzed. KC, uh, definitely. KC, I love that kid. Love him. He's a really good friend, and he's got such a sweet, kind heart. But he, he's fucked up. <laughs> he's fucked up. You know, was, and I know why he's fucked up. Was it alcohol you, abuse? Was it substance abuse? Well, I know, here's, well, yes, but that's not why he's fucked up. He's on. He's. You, you got to understand something, and I, I bonded with Casey over this because I was a wrestler. I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college. I coached for five years, and when I was in high school. The most intensive wrestling camp was called Strasbourg. 
It was Stroudsburg University in Pennsylvania. And if you did a week or two weeks in Stroudsburg, you came out, A, a lot tougher, but there was like an 80% dropout rate. Like, people couldn't handle it. Guess who ran Stroudsburg Wrestling Camp? Casey's father. Okay? Casey's father was his football coach and his wrestling coach. Mm. I think you could do the math there. And yeah. he had to be the best. At, but he had to be the best at both of them. His dad ran the toughest wrestling camp on the East Coast. Maybe even in the country when I was going in high school. You came back. You had a Stroudsburg. I survived Stroudsburg. Everyone's like, oh, shit, he fucking survived Stroudsburg. Oh, my God. That was Casey's dad. Imagine what that kid had to go through. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, how about uh, how about Ronnie? Ronnie's got to be on the uh, the mental health list somewhere. Ronnie's just, uh, Ronnie's just fucking nuts. <laughs> He's just a wild man. He's out of control. I, I if you if you see someone like that, that's that guy. He's got that kind of game. Is he nuts or he's just having a good time? Right. I think he's just having a good time. That's true. If I you could know? be doing that at seventy, I think we all would, right? Yeah. Okay. Yo, his girlfriend's my age. <laughs> Put your friendships aside and answer this question. Ready? Jackie years or yep. Artie years? Jackie. Just for the show. Yes. Jack. Yeah. No, I I watched that man. He knew Howard's where Howard was going before Howard even got there. I used to watch him write a joke and wait and wait and wait. And Howard wasn't even there yet, but Jackie knew where he was going and wait. And then he'd throw the j- joke over because he knew where Howard was going. It was amazing. Wow. What percentage of, of Howard's laughs were Jackie's, would you say, if you had to make a ballpark? Half? Oh, geez. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say that, that's just a ballpark. Jackie's got all the jokes to prove it. He saved every single one that Howard ever used. <laughs> right. Every no, every single one. He has them all. That's and I, he, got, he got me in trouble for it, too. He threw me under the bus. He asked me, if Howard, if there's a celebrity in there, and I, if Jackie wrote a joke, and the, the celebrity laughed. He'd ask me, he'd give me the joke and ask the celebrity to sign it. Which I, I, I'm a soldier. He's a, he's a fucking lieutenant. So I would go to the celebrity, hey, Jackie wants you to sign this. And he'd sign it. And Robin saw me doing it one day. And she thought I was asking the celebrities for an for autograph. For an autograph, yeah. Yeah, and I don't do that. I, I, one person I asked for an autograph in all the years I was there was Mark Hamill. Because I'm a Star Wars geek. So I get on the air and I'm like, Jackie asked me to do this. And you think Jackie go, yeah, I asked him. Man, I got fucking blasted. Like J- J- Jackie just didn't even try to defend me. Like leave the kid alone. Jackie was like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you fucking bastard. The, just the you know? Jackie so, uh, laugh alone. Was, the laugh alone was yeah. worth something. Well, I, I, I well. This is so fucking funny. So there was somebody called me up and goes, listen to this. And it was somebody, it was a video. They sent it in. It was a video of someone fucking a chicken. And the noise that the chicken was making was, yeah, it sounded like Jackie's laugh. And I gave it to Scott, you know. <laughs> and that's one of the Jackie laughs that Fred would always play. But then, you know, it was so funny because, like, Fred would always, like, play things when there was, like, Robin was like, so in the news today, yeah. uh, three babies were found dead. And people were like, why is Jackie laughing? People would fucking call up thinking these morons would think they wouldn't realize it was a drop. Yeah. 
But, uh, yeah, but Jackie's no. regular laughter during something that was going on in the air when he would go crazy in the background, it just it added to yeah. it. It was oh, so yeah. great. Oh, I did. No, I was. But he has, he has the greatest laugh. I love Jackie so much. You know, uh, he's still to this day a uh, close friend. Was he sick? Did he have a stroke or something? Did he have a stroke or something? Yeah, I know. I, I unfortunately uh, probably shouldn't have mentioned that on John's show. I think he might be mad at me, but he didn't tell me not. He like he called to tell me. I you know I didn't think of. I kind of mentioned it like, oh, I thought everybody knew. So I, I hope that I'm not the one that broke that story. Um, but he's he's okay though, right? He's yeah, he's fine. Okay, fine. all right. So. But you know, I just I don't know. Because like I usually I call Jackie, uh, he'll pick up, or I call Jackie, he calls me back, and. Uh, I haven't heard from him, and then I, I kind of got concerned, and I texted him and said, are you okay? He said, just one word, yeah. And I was like, give me a call, and he didn't call me back. So I don't know if he just doesn't want to talk or he's mad at me or something. I hope not, but, you know. I hope And not. I, I text him, because he's been on my show, like, four or five. He loves coming on my show. Mm-hmm. And he, I said, I got my show up and running. Do you want to come on? And he didn't get back to me. So. Maybe that big offer finally um, came in to, to punch up some scripts in Hollywood. Well, he could. He's fine. Yo, that man's sharp. That man's fucking sharp as a tack. Okay, another uh, another ranking. We got to put him in order here. Most in need of a bath. Fred the Elephant. Sorry, elef- John. Fred the uh, Elephant. No. Oh wait. <laughs> Fred the. I was going to go whack pack, but Fred the Elephant okay. Boy. Uh, Wesley Willis. Remember him? No. He was the Who's the that? big four hundred pound uh, schizophrenic black guy that used to play the keyboard and sing those songs. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, homeless Got guy. Uh, Angry Black, High Pitch Eric, or uh, Monique from Radio Gunk? Yeah, Monique. No. Uh, uh, Fred the Elephant Boy does not know what deodorant is, and he does not bathe on a fucking regular basis. I love that guy so much. He's such a sweetheart. But he does not understand basic hygiene. Right. And I think, like, I don't know if it's... It, if he has a, a form of autism or a, a socially retarded kind of thing, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, I heard some, someone had told me uh, that, that they they grew up with him and they lived with him on the block, and like his, I think it might come from his parents. Like I think his mom might have been disturbed and like totally like fucked with him. And he had a brother, and like they they had to take baths together until the time they were teenagers and shit like that, and. I don't know. I heard like he had a really hard time growing up. Okay, I and, understood it was just a speech no. impediment, but like, apparently there's much no, more there. No, I don't. He's he's intelligent, but like, if you don't know how to fucking take a shower every day, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, you, you you're not aware that you stink. You know, I, like I'm like I'm constantly, you know, I I know when I stink. <laughs> All right, let's go to Twitter, Steve. Some uh, some people are reaching out for you here. Let's see. Um... Uh, Ian, Ian would like to know: uh, Did Gorilla know that Ron Jeremy did the porno in the studio with Cabby? Uh no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even know that that existed until like, uh, like I like again, I wasn't listening when that happened, so I, I had no idea. But I, I do know that Ron Jeremy's like a really nice guy. <laughs> I've actually hung out with him a bunch of times, but uh, no, I had no idea. Otto asks, who gave you the worst advice during your time on the Stern Show? Worst advice? I don't know. That's a tough question. I'd have to, can we get back to that? Let me think yeah, about that. Yeah, of course. I, like, um, 
Yeah, let me think about that. All right, let me, let me uh, Gil, uh, Gil Boldgerg, uh, Berg says, what is the process in booking guests for the interviews? Who has the final say in terms of who can and can't come on? Well, in relative uh, to today or? To Pro- no, probably when you when were I there. I would assume when you were there. Well, everything was Gary. Gary hustled his dick off, you know, and, you know, either, you know, he had a hard job. People didn't were terrified of Howard. And he really, credit to Gary, he just knew how to calm people down and convince them to come on the show. He was really good at it. And I used to sit there and listen to him. And he, he hustled his ass off to get those guests. And it's, he did not have an easy job. Mm. And he did great. And, uh, and but, but, you know, in the end, it's Howard's decision. How he would pitch, to, oh, got this person, this person, this person, unless it was a super A-list celebrity, and then he didn't tell Howard, and it was like usually a mystery guest or something like that. So, mm-hmm. but Gary, Gary, in the end, it was Howard, definitely. Uh, Salvatore Martone, speaking of uh, Gary, says, what kind of WAP names their kids Lucas and Jackson? I think he's got a point there. Um, <laughs> not, a, not a very good one. <laughs> Brian Long the one moment that revealed that Howie jumped the shark and also what was the one moment Gorilla realized it's time to go? My, my aha moment was, you know, it was right. There were talks about Howie getting the channel, the CBS show, and I wanted to know if I was, I, no one could give me a definitive answer if I was going to, I would have stuck around if I knew I was going to get that kind of job. But the definitive moment was, uh, it's been a year about me working 60 hours and getting paid for 30, getting paid minimum wage. And it's been a year. So I go into Tom Chiasano's office and I say, Tom, I was like, look, it's been a year. Um, all I'm asking is that I get paid 40 hours. I'm working 60. And can I get a little something extra? Like maybe get paid a little more? And Tom goes, absolutely not. I was like, I was like, well, can I get paid for 40 and I start getting health insurance? He goes, no. I goes, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the company standard raise. That's 25% of what your salary is now. So what's 25% of 625? That's nothing. Yeah, no. So I went, he goes, and from now on, you have to leave the show at 10 o'clock. You, have, you only can work the 30 hours. I don't want you working. I don't want you working 60. So I go, huh. I was like, so now I go to walk Howard down, and I got, I'm going to the elevator with him, and I go, Hey man, I just had a meeting with Tom. Um, you know, I'm working like 60 hours a week, and I, you know he won't give me any more. I have to leave at like 10 o'clock, and you know he, he he's not giving me much of a raise. And he go, he looked at me and he goes like this. I never forget. He goes, "That's Tom." At that moment, I was like, "I'm done. I'm done." Wow. I was like, I was like, I I I, I came back up. I was Gary two weeks. What did Gary? Done. What did Gary say? Did Gary well, try to? Know, keep- it, Gary, Gary. Gary was shocked. He tried to convince me. You sure this is what you want to do? Blah 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 blah. Yeah, I said, yeah, I'm going to LA with my girlfriend. I'm going to be an actor. I, well, when, I, that was not the case. I, I wound up going to LA, but you know, for a couple months afterwards. But uh, I just said that because I was like, if that's the case, and you're not going to bat for me, I'm out of here. Because if I stay, I'm going to come in with a fucking shotgun. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll go crazy. So, I, and plus, I was smart enough at that age to know that. And funny thing, I, it doesn't help me now anyway, but I thought better I leave as a gentleman 
then stay and they have to fire me because I always wanted to be able to have that card in my back pocket that I can go back on the show if I needed something to promote. Okay. So yeah, I said, let me go out. If I stay, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I was already wound tighter than a spring. I, I would have snapped and they would probably have been a bad thing and I probably would have had to fire me. And I thought, I'll never be able to come back here again. So right. I was like, let me go out as a gentleman. Yeah. Uh, Easy Eric asks, I have video of Stern admitting he was wearing a horrible wig on a morning talk show after some older comic was making fun of it. This was 83 or 84. He had a brown mustache and a brown wig. If you can find his first Q-Tine show, his black jerry curl wig was so bad. All right, he's rambling, but uh, what about the wig rumor? True? False? What? Well, I, I will tell you this. I, when I worked there, that was his hair. I know it was his hair. On private parts, he had a wig, but that's because of aesthetics and movie uh, magic. There was he had a wig on private parts, but that but it was his hair. But he needed the wig for like vi- like visuals on. For, it's, it's a movie thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think that's what people think. I think people think that he so, uh, he wears it on air on the radio. I, I I I can't answer that question. I've heard this from this person, that from that person. I have no idea. All I can tell you is when I worked there, the man had a super nice head of hair, and it was his. Steve, you've answered it all. We've talked, but we started with potatoes. We start. We went to. Uh, we, we 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 covered it all. We went to Spike Lee for Christ's sake, and. Uh, well, I I, I I I should have sued him. Oh, that's another thing. You know, I got the piss beat out of me when uh, I for that tape, and I didn't give it up. Spike Lee's got my body's got punched me in the fucking back of the head. And they pummeled me, and I kept the tape tucked underneath my jacket. And I had police reports. I had doctor's reports. I had a lawyer. And I was like, Howard, uh, I'm going to sue Spike Lee. Because we had Howard on tape. You could hear Spike go, go get those fucking guys. You heard it. And Howard goes, please. He He goes, please, don't. I don't need that kind of fucking shit right now. I'm asking you, don't. And I didn't. And look, I, I, I look where you are now. You would have lost all this had you done that. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my uncle, to this day, my uncle is an old school teamster. My Irish uncle is a fucking old school gangster. He goes, that's one thing that fucking pissed me off about that fucking Jew. You didn't let him fucking, you didn't shit a swords right me. You should have just fucking done it. You would have been a millionaire. <laughs> Steve, where can we hear you tomorrow night, every night, whenever we want to listen to your podcast? Tell us one more time. Uh, I... I I got grillosaftershockxl.com. That's where all my social media is, where you can connect with me. Uh, I'm very accessible. Uh, every I'm trying to do my show every night at 6 o'clock. If it's not live, it'll be uh, an older show. I've been doing you know my podcast for over a year. I got some great old interviews. I am on YouTube at grillosaftershockxl. But I would go to the .com because it directs you directly there because I'm still sorting out exactly – uh, some old shit that needs to be taken off. But um, if, you, if you do your due diligence, I'm sure. And it's on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. And you can watch old shows on GrillaAfterShockXL.com. And that's about it. This was fun, man. Just so the wrestling fans well, don't, fun, don't fucking... Fun. Just so the wrestling fans don't fucking complain. Let's get one in here. Who was your favorite wrestler in the 80s? Yeah, go ahead. Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Oh, you know about him, right? That whole thing. Well, yeah, but... Well, well, here's the deal. I, I'm really good friends on. I just, 
one of my best friend's cousins, he was uh, uh, Jeff Miller. He was the metal maniac. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I don't, yeah. He, he, he worked yeah, with so Jimmy all Jeff the time. Is, uh, yeah, that was, so I got a little insight into about Jimmy. Yeah, like Jimmy was one of his best friends. So it was kind of cool for me, but I just super fly. When he got on the top ropes and went like this, you know what I'm saying? I just thought he was the best. And Roddy Piper. You know, you can't, like Roddy Piper, the ultimate warrior. Roddy was my. Roddy they were, was my. Uh, they were the top. Guys. Roddy was my favorite. I always liked the bad guys when I was a kid. I always liked the ones with the mouths. You, you start to see the the thread there, right? Howard, Roddy Piper, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes for a very but, stable uh, childhood. I, I I was like Tito Santana, the Bushwhackers. They were they were like so much fun to watch. Uh, but Andre the Giant, you know that goes without saying. So uh, and uh, Junkyard Dog. So like that, that's from the era I came up in, and those were like some of my favorite people. Who else? Uh, 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 wait, Mr. Fuji, the devious Mr. Fuji. <laughs> Throw salt right in your eyes. <laughs> All the Mr. greats. Fuji was awesome. Yeah, Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, uh, uh, I was into it so much. I got to uh, the first WrestleMania. I didn't understand what pay per view was. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my, so they, they had it at this big church. It was pay per view. They, they did a telecast from there. So, but my dad goes, I got tickets to WrestleMania. So I thought I was really going. <laughs> And you ended up in a church okay, watching yeah, it on yeah, a screen. I got down like, like, yeah, I was like so disappointed. I was like, I thought we were really going. He was like, no, this is what this is. I was like, I almost cried. I was like, I don't want to watch it on TV. I want to be there. I told all my friends and they were like, ah, you know what that ticket would have cost on a mailman salary. He couldn't have done it. All right. Another good one. Doggone it. Another good one. All right, going to Twitter now. I've promised you access to me, and uh, here we go. My God, there's a lot. You guys never disappoint. Try to get to as many as I can. Uh, Right. Walt Whiteman. Not to be confused with an author. Um, How pumped are you that the Herb Abrams episode of Dark Side of the Ring is upon us. You know, that was the one episode when Evan called me like five years ago and said, I have this idea. I want to produce this thing. We're doing this thing at Vice. Uh, and I, I said to him, uh, I said, there's a lot there, but go deep. The wrestling fan will appreciate you going deep. Stay away from the fucking screw job. They did that one. I guess they had to get, you know, the casual fan to watch. It is a business, folks. But um, the one I said, I, I, I said, do you know the Herb Abrams story? Or the end of the Herb Abrams story was really why I was pitching it. And uh, he didn't. So I told him, he was like, holy cow, I got to look into that. And I, I I'd emailed him since then. And then I heard the the series had been produced. They had done a, a season of it. And my only question to Evan was, did you do the Herb Abrams deal? So... I got a random text a few months ago saying Vice is going to make you very happy this new season. So apparently it's been produced. Hopefully I am thanked in these special thanks. You know, I could have voiced it. I know, what did they get? Chris Jericho? Yes. I have so many more credits than Chris Jericho. I, mean, I know he's in the ring and stuff, but, you know, 200 major motion pictures, television series. Okay. Just saying. Um, yeah, so I am pumped for that. Um, Salvatore Martone, I've legit been thinking that the Scott Salem push-up saga would make an awesome based on a true life feature film. Uh, with that preface, could you fan cast the movie? In my eyes, Tom Hardy would easily win the Oscar if he played Scott Salem. Take care. Comb your hair. 
What's left, I will. Uh, who would I cast? I have to come back to you on that one. That's a good, uh, that's a good, uh, uh, what's his name's dead, right? Peter Boyle for Scott? Yeah, Peter Boyle's dead. All right, let's see here. Let's shoot over to Justin Amarine, 574. What are some stern moments that you can always listen to and laugh like the first time you heard it? <laughs> um, that's a good one. Oh, the Mike Walker fart. When they when they played it for Mike Walker, and, and Mike Walker did a segment on Stern where he would read uh, stories from the National Enquirer, and his mic was hot. Bef- he did it remotely from his home. So his mic would be hot before they went to him on air. So they were recording all the time from that mic, and apparently he ripped one. And it's the most bizarre-sounding fart. There's an odd, like, tin can echo to it. And then when they play it for him, they, Howard, they had already cut it into song parodies like You Really Got Me and uh, and <laughs> a bunch of others. And, uh, and just listening to Artie lose his mind as they played Mike Walker. And Mike Walker is not amused. I'm laughing just thinking about it. That one, the Dominic Barber stake for one for two. When they go to uh, uh, Bobby Van Steakhouse and Howard does the like 10-minute impression of how Dominic Barber ran the ordering of the food and the his order, which was steak for two for one. Tremendous. Unbelievable. Either of those I could listen to endlessly. And uh, uh, there's probably others that will come to mind. I'll answer throughout the weeks. But uh, uh, IV says top five favorite films. God, you know, that's always tough. It's always tough. There's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff I haven't seen. Um, Crimes and Misdemeanors up there. Raging Bull up there. Um, probably others. You know, I was a big Scorsese fan. I, th- I think Goodfellas is probably as perfect uh, a film in that format. That you know, the the retelling of a, of a true story. Just the the the, the composition between the visual and the music and and it but it was not a music video i I really you know i bristle when i go to see films that are constantly trying to string me from one scene to the next telling me how to feel through through the music and and it's not the case it's just such a good film but it's got that kind of you know ginzo like good follows you know they a lot of people don't know they're watching a good film they just like to watch Joe Perry, Joe Joe Perry. They like to watch him, you know, shoot Steven Tyler. They like to watch Joe Pesci do the, um, you know, the gimmick with the uh, "I'm funny, I amuse you." Imagine Joe Perry doing that to Steven Tyler. Hey, Steve, do I amuse you? I don't know. Yeah, I guess you amuse me. Why? No, like I'm a joke. Like I'm funny. Like that riff I played, I saw you laughing. That was like funny. I don't, bro. I, I don't know, man. I, I guess it was funny. I don't think it's funny. Laugh at me all the time when I'm dancing on stage. Um, let's go to the next one. Found objects. Always good for one. Of today's younger stars, who will be the most interesting kayfabe Sean interviews in 2040? Seems like guys who had success in any of the non-WWE promotions might have good stories to tell. All right, so you're, t- you're talking about anybody of any size. I don't think it's going to happen, found objects, in 2040. Somebody asked me on Twitter, one of the socials today was like, what, what, is there a shoot interview anymore? And, and I don't know. I don't think there is. Like with the John Cena shoot interview, we know everything that happened. There are guys that are entertaining. 
I was like Brian Myers, you know, like like there are guys who can go on and tell a funny story and they're they're intelligent. You can talk to them about a lot of different things. So they'll be good guests, but just for straight shoot, I don't know. There's no there's no Jim Cornette 2.0. Sorry to say. Jim's still promising to come on the show, by the way. Still working on it. Still waiting. Let you know when that happens. Oh, boy. Uh, Let's go to another one here. Bob says, I know a lot of ground has been covered in some of your previous interviews, but could you, have you considered a Ring of Honor timeline series? You explain in your book why TNA was never covered. I was curious if ROH fell into that line of reasoning as well. Uh, There's a story there. It's in my, I believe it's in the... Uh, I don't know if it was in Kayfabe or the business of Kayfabe, but I, we had a series called Chronology, which was going to be hosted by Gabe Sapolsky. And uh, we were going to go through Ring of Honor uh, uh, time, basically like a Ring of Honor timeline, but a little differently, with Gabe and a guest. And uh, Ring of Honor, or Sinclair, sent us a a cease and desist because the R-O-H, we spelled chronology, C-H-R-O-H-N-O-L-O-G-Y, and they were red, and they said the font looked like the Ring of Honor font, which is ridiculous. But uh, rather than fight it, I, I mean, I would have just ignored it because it was it was groundless to say I couldn't fucking talk about the history of the company. It's a public entity. I can go on the air and talk about the history of Coca-Cola. I could say, yeah, doing the history of Coca-Cola. I'm not selling Coke. I'm not selling something passing it off as Coke. So therefore, I'm protected. Um, I left it in Gabe's hands. Gabe ultimately felt we should do something else, and that was the birth of Next Evolution, which dealt with Evolve. And it actually was a blessing because we got access to the um, the Evolve footage, so we were able to put the matches on with, with guys like uh, Roderick Strong and Chris Hero, and we got to watch the matches with Gabe and, and kind of show the evolution of the person's career uh, through those matches, and you know, Gabe and the talent were, had a hand in picking which ones we showed. So Next Evolution ended up being a better series than Chronology would have been uh, in covering Ring of Honor. Um, where is Ring of Honor right now? I don't know. Maybe you do. Found objects, piping up again. He doesn't have much going on tonight. If you were doing a shoot interview with Sean Oliver about the early days of kayfabe commentaries, what would you want to talk about? I think the most interesting stuff that we have to tell, which I told, was those early years. The the earliest years, uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do when we started doing those audio commentaries and kind of crashing the party and... You know, taking talent from other promoters, and maybe that was disreputable when we were getting started. But I mean, we we just we had to learn the ropes and kind of that whole transformation. I would make me tell the story of Ken Patera entering the uh, the hotel in Carlstadt, New Jersey, where everybody was in the bar, wrestlers and fans alike, and everyone drinking bottles of beer. And Ken Patera shows up to do a shoot interview with another producer who's drinking a banana daiquiri, a full-out b- banana daiquiri, umbrella, the cherry, the whole, the whole deal. K 
Ken Patera walks in, looks across the bar, and in, in a booming baritone says, He's got a cunt drink. I'm like, yeah, that's the guy you're shooting with. He's like, hey, the, with the guy with the cunt drink? He's drinking a cunt drink. He's screaming. Ken Patera's incredible. He's phenomenal. There should be an entire episode of Dark Side of the Ring with him. All right, listen, we've done it. We've done it once again. We've, uh, we've, we've created 60 minutes of something that some would call, albeit a very, very small minority, entertainment. And it has been a production of Sean Oliver Media LLC Music by the great Kevin McLeod. If you are a patron, thank you, thank you. Patreon.com slash Podcast. And we'll see you guys next week. Stay in the trouble.